Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Cat. Episode number 173, recorded July 12th, 2014. So today's a short one, Ken. We're only going to do two issues. Exactly. That's great. That's good. You know, the threes are good, but twos are good to take up a little bit less folks' time. Right. So we're doing Deep Space Nine, Marvel, 10, and 11. Good. So we've got a lot of um, Luxana Troy and Rom being some of the main characters in these guys. Right. It's a little two-parter. That play into each other. That is correct. So any business to discuss? Let's see. Business, business, business. Nope. I have nothing. You? Did you want to say something about how far along we are in our Odyssey-like journey? In our quest? We're uh, we're about to hit the 100 mark of the 90s, which would be 175. Okay. So I just thought I would eyeball it to see how far we were total. And... Yes. And, you know, and this is obviously going to be off a little bit because they keep making new ones. Thankfully. We have about 100 episodes left. Cool. And our quest to read and review every Star Trek comic ever published. That's impressive. That is true. I would have, you know, when we started this thing, I didn't think we would get to 60%. (laughs) (laughs) So that's pretty cool. Right. Yeah, so... A little over 60%, and uh, you know, once we finish the 90s, which won't be too terribly far from now, we really only have DC Comics first run, the gold key stuff, and then all the, the newer IDW stuff. Cool. Which, of course, the newer IDW stuff we're peppering in as they come out. Right, but there's still quite a few miniseries and stuff that we have skipped. Ah, the non-ongoing stuff. Right. Right. Okay, yeah. cool. I like the IDW stuff quite a lot. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, good stuff. And they're fast reads. They're high on the quality, not as much on the quantity, which is fine. As long as it's a good story and good art. It's always good art. Mostly good stories. Love that. Right. And then we do have the UK comic strips. I mean, we did all the US comic strips, but we'll have the UK ones to do at some point. Blimey. Right. That'll be that interesting. Sounds great. Sounds great. Because <laughs> you remember, the quality of those comic strips are always top-notch. Well, the U.S. ones weren't very good. <laughs> did we do any of the U.K. ones yet? We did not, and they're not, they may not be as good as the U.S. ones. <laughs> <laughs> okay, something to look forward to. I know okay. there, there's quite a few, or maybe at least at the beginning, his name is Captain Kurt. So they couldn't even get his name right in the in the first several. K U R T, C U R T, I think. C U R T. Fascinating, Captain Kurt. <laughs> That's poor. <laughs> That's, you can't even get the names right. Gold Key got the names right. Okay. Right, but these were uh, these were just like comic strips that were in um, like TV Guide, the equivalent of TV Guide there. Okay. So. You know, it was like a two-page spread, and that was it. 
So those, those we should blast through pretty fast, I think. Cool. Okay. Sounds good. But that's not what we're talking about today, Ken. Heck no. We're talking Deep Space Nine, baby. Right. So you want to just jump right into the first one? Let's do. So this is issue number 10. came out October of 1997. It is entitled Luxana Troy and the Wedding of Doom. The writers and stuff are a little hard to read here on the PDF because it's in pink and white, which kind of bleed together. Michael Martin and Andy Mangels is the writer. Terry Pallet is the penciler. Al Milgram is the inker. Chris Elanopoulos and Virtual Calligraphy are the letterers. Chip Carter is Starfleet. John Calise is the colorist. Tim Tui is editor. Bob Harris is editor-in-chief. So the cover shows Luxana Troy holding her new baby boy. Behind her is a very surprised Odo. He has like an exclamation halo around his head, so he's really shocked. And then the caption reads, Luxana Troy returns to Deep Space Nine. And she brought a surprise for Odo. So reading this, I thought the surprise might be the baby. Because I did not quite remember the reasons why they got married. So anyways, back to the story. Story starts off with a shuttle making its way to the station. We go into the station and we find Odo alone at a table with a frosty mug of beer in his hand. He is speculating on the nature of love and how he missed his opportunity back when he was a solid for a short amount of time. Now that he's back to being a changeling, will he ever know what love is again? A young female Bajoran security officer interrupts his musing to tell him that they were unable to reach him. He points to his communicator floating in the beer and says, maybe I didn't want to be found. She tells him that she thought he might want to know that his wife's ship has arrived. So at the airlock, people from the shuttle are departing, and the first one out is a blue bullion male, followed by Mr. Holm holding a little baby, followed by another blue-skinned female. Uh, this is perhaps a female bullion, if female bullions have white hair. Otherwise, maybe it's an Andorian who does not have antennae, so we can talk about that later. Lastly, Luxana departs, and she gives Odo a big hug. And she informs him of some big news. She and the Bolian are about to get married as soon as she can divorce Odo. Shocked and upset by this news, he tries to object. But she tells him that he does not have to pretend to love her anymore. Dejected, Odo agrees to the divorce. And he tries to play it off that he's not hurt. Once everybody's departed and they're in the shuttle bay... Nog and Quark are looking over the shuttle that Luxana's party arrived in. Rom thinks that he sees some slime on the hull move. Quark tells him that he's been around too many changing changelings and he's just jumpy. When the two of them leave the shuttle bay, the green slime does indeed move and it slides off the ship. In Sisko's office, Luxana compliments Sisko on his new hairstyle, going so far as rubbing his bald head. She also tells him that she wants to get married on the promenade and that she wants Sisko to perform the wedding. Later, the wedding party is being fitted for garments at Garrick's. The blue-skinned assistant of Luxana's fiancé is unable to keep her cool. She is furious that her employer is marrying such a woman. 
She finally has had enough, and she storms out of the shop. Once she's alone in the hallway, a green goo swarms over her and attacks her before she can even make a sound. Later, Rom is in maintenance section 12-8. He is supposed to meet Elter so that they can perform a diagnostic repair, but she's nowhere to be found, and she is not answering her communicator. Eventually, he finds her discarded spanner on the floor, and on it is some green slime residue. He then recalls the slime from the ship earlier, and he rushes off. On the promenade, the wedding preparation is in full swing. The whole promenade has been decked out. The senior staff is talking about how the female assistant is missing. Suddenly, Rom rushes over to them and shows Cisco, Odo, and Bashir the spanner, and he reports Elter missing as well. The crew is now making preparations to search the station for the two missing women and the source of the green slime. Rom contacts Lita to tell her that he's going to be a little late. She seems very focused on him getting home so that she can perform Umax as soon as possible. Rom thinks to himself that he's never going to be able to rest as long as he's with Leto. He's more likely to have death by Umax, which is probably not a horrible way to go. Later, Rom and the security guard have examined the shuttle where Rom first saw the slime. It is now completely clean. He then speculates that the slime might have entered the air duct or perhaps the plumbing. Afraid of Lita, he tries to contact her while he rushes to his quarters. She does not answer her communicator, but his voice is played out as if he's being picked up by an old-timey answering machine. He tells her to stay away from the plumbing and to shut all the air vents. She's unable to hear this because she is now taking a shower. Suddenly, green slime erupts from all around her and swarms over her body. A startled scream is all she can do before she is pulled into an air vent. To be continued. Wow. That's like a kind of sexual horror kind of scene in that last two-page spread. Right. So it kind of reminds me of some kind of schlocky uh, horror movie, low budget, that of course has an attractive woman with almost no clothes on. Not almost. The only thing she's wearing is that green slime. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm talking about the the cheap movies that... Yeah, well, sometimes they're naked there, too. Anyway, so <laughs> I thought it was kind of racy. I, I did, too. But unfortunately, I, I, you know, like in the horror movie when this type of thing happens, <laughs> it's somewhat of an attractive shot, even though they're being attacked by whatever. Right. But this is not a flattering picture at all. It's a two-page spread, and I think they've gone out of her way to to make it as unattractive on her as possible, which is <laughs> really kind of unfortunate. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the actress that played Lita, was that her name? Lita? Yeah, Lita. Quite a cute girl. Right. Uh, but she don't look too cute here. Right. But, well, she, she's but she's in the she, shower, she looks yeah. okay. But, uh, yeah, obviously she's in horror as this green goop is, like, going up her nostrils and stuff. Uh, Not just her nostrils. Yes. (laughs) It's everywhere. Well, as we find out later. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, what did you say this this was? This this kind of... This kind of stuff? Ookie. (laughs) It's ookie. Yuck. It is ookie. 
It is Ookie, which is a word I got from you, and I use it frequently. That's funny. <laughs> anyway. So did you not think it was a little odd that as soon as Rom realizes that the slime might be in the air vent, he was so focused on it's going to attack Lita of all the women on the ship, all the uh, all the women on the space station that, you know, I could get to get that he himself would be worried about Lita, but... right. I mean, he's calling the National Guard, everybody rally at my house. Lita's being attacked, and he doesn't know that. No, he doesn't know anything at all. Now, yeah. Now, now if he did try to contact the woman that he cares most about in the world, that's on the station. You can't replace Moogie. Um, (laughs) That would be a good reason to call her right away. Her right away, right. Yeah, right. And then, you know, and it shows her getting in the shower, and that's why she's not hearing it, and there's nothing scary going on and i kept thinking that this is this going to be played off as a big joke she comes in the shower and then everybody suddenly rushes into her room and you know it's like you were worried about nothing you know kind of a joke on right Rom for being overprotective but right no the, she really is going to be attacked by the slime because <laughs> she happened to be going for a shower just at the wrong time yeah i just thought that was a little convenient that yes of all the women she's the one that's going to be attacked right that's what they wanted to do, make Rom even more motivated to be the hero. So, understand the choice, but yes, it's a bit forced. Right. So yeah. we didn't see what Alter looked like. Maybe she's, you know, very attractive, and maybe they're just, maybe the slime is just going by the most attractive woman town, and Rom knows that she's the third most attractive person on the station. <laughs> um, I don't think it has anything to do with attractiveness. I think we'll find out later. Except maybe that that base that was how the writer made his choices. But we find out with the creature what its motivation is like. Oh, he has motivations. Oh yes, kind of like a horta. Yeah. Even though uh, it looks like a slimy I, 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 rock thing, it really has motivation. Well, it's not as intelligent as a horta, I don't think. But it, I don't think it's just random attacks. Like, for example, it's going after women. No men so far. That's weird, right? That's weird. That might tell you something. Who knows? Anyway. Right. But we'll we'll find out a little bit more next issue. We will. For me, the high point of the issue is when uh, Luxana is rubbing the Buddha, rubbing uh, Cisco's bald head. (laughs) I I thought that was funny. It was Uh, funny. (laughs) I mean, the fact that he would actually submit to it also. Was kind of funny, right? Cause, I mean, because he is, you know, he's the he's the, the big dog. He's the he's the guy that leads everything, you know, and he's letting his head be rubbed. Kind of funny, anyway. Yeah, which, that was that was very funny. <laughs> which, if that's the high point, it should tell you something. Um, <laughs> so for me, the high point was, and I don't think they played it quite right. Was right. The heartbreaking part where Odo, who's been really speculating that can he love Luxana now that he's a changeling or that he's a changeling, is he capable of love? He obviously does have feelings for her. And then the very first thing that's out of her mouth is, I'm divorcing you to marry this blue guy. (laughs) They could have played that so much because they've already spent so much pages on him contemplating love. And then... Mm -hmm. She tells him that, and all he really says is, oh, you think I'm acting? 
And you're like, oh, yeah, you don't have to act anymore. Okay, yeah, I'm acting. Yeah. And that's it. Well, yeah, you're that right. That could have been so much more. They could have done more pages of that. But we know through the rest of this and the next issue that he is digging Luxana. So Yeah, and why does she not know that? If she can read minds. Very good question. I mean, so she can read Odo's mind. I mean, I, I, I know there's other species like Frangi that Betazoids can't read, but that's a good point. She should be able to read Odo, right? Right. Hmm. Even though his base state is, is goo. Is liquid. Yeah. Right. I, I agree. Yeah. That's a very good point. Yeah. To me, I was really sad about that part. Yeah. Well, they tried to. I mean, they obviously wanted to try to play, the, play up that end of things. And really, I remember the one visual that, I don't know whether it was directly the one that set up this situation or not, but I remember an an episode at the end where uh, Luxana is using her dress to hold on to the liquid state of Odo, because he couldn't hold his form anymore. Right. That was her first. That was her first episode on Deep Space Nine, I think. Oh, was that the first one? Okay. Yeah. They get trapped in an elevator. That's it. That's he, has it. To, he has to revert, and she's like, she takes her dress off and is like, it's okay, Odo. It's okay. Exactly. So obviously she's accepting him, right. uh, no matter what he is. So that's pretty unusual. So I can see where that would be uh, something like, hey, a girl that's okay with me. That's <laughs> rare. I, I always enjoyed her cameos on Deep Space Nine, even more than I liked her on Next Generation. Next, Next Gen- Generation, she was always too... I thought comic relief type type thing. I mean, there yeah. was a few good episodes, but on Deep Space Nine, I always really loved her guest appearances, and because mainly because of her interaction with Odo. Yeah, and uh, and I was really looking forward to this issue because they're back, and I'd kind of I'd already forgotten that she was pregnant in the last time she was on the show, and that's the reason why he married her so that she wouldn't lose the baby to the baby's biological father. And so when I saw this cover, I was like a baby and I knew she got married, but I couldn't remember the circumstances. So I was like, is that a half changeling baby? What are they trying to say? Well, that's what they wanted you to think. Right. Of course. Right. But the reality apparently was different. Right. But I mean, maybe at the time when the episodes were fresher on my memory, I would have known, Oh yeah, she's already pregnant. This this baby is not the surprise. Exactly. Exactly. But they definitely played that up quite a bit. Right. Yeah, personally, I found the character a little annoying on Deep Space, uh, on Next Gen. I found the character a little annoying, and I didn't always look forward to it, especially when it was like the thing where, well, who's she going to try to latch on now? Normally Picard. And it's like, I don't know, it's like... I, I felt bad for her because they were playing her up all the time like the, um, you know, like, like the needy woman that needs to have a man or something. And I just never really found that overly, uh, that line overly entertaining. But I'll tell you, my favorite episode ever with Majel Barrett and the Luxana Troy character is that one that attacks the issue of aging. Oh, yes. That was a really good one. Uh, so I really enjoyed that one. And she was not playing the typical Luxana Troy character at all, except for maybe the very beginning. Right. Um, and I liked that. That that was really good. And what was so great about that episode was that it showed that maybe what we see on the outside 
it's just an act because she has yeah. so much pain and so much anguish inside of her that she has to always be in this character. Otherwise, right. she couldn't like, keep going, uh, which, which hmm, I love. That, that, that episode's yeah. one of my favorites. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, in this one, it was good. It was uh, her marriage, okay, or her wedding, I should say. It was okay. You mentioned the idea of the assistant yeah. of her of her uh, future husband. Right. So I think she was definitely a Bolian, right? I do too, but we've seen Bolian women on the show before, and they're always bald. So this woman has white hair like an Andorian. Right. And she's blue, but she's also got that ridge across her, vertically across her face. Which Does I, she? Cause I, which I, I could, thought was a Bolian characteristic. Yeah, no, it is. But I couldn't tell in this issue that she had that. Now, I know the cover of the next issue, I think, shows the ridge. Yeah. Well, I, I, although I don't think it's the clearest thing in the world, I think there's enough panels with her face showing, at least on an angle. I mean, I, I don't remember seeing one where it's really close enough to her and a full frontal face view to see it. But I think it's close enough where she's kind of like on an angle that you can see the line. Well, I kind of eyeballed through the issue, and I couldn't find it in this ep- in this issue, so I- I'll take okay. your word for it. Because it-, it seemed like she was always in profile, or half of her face was in shadow, yeah. so you couldn't tell if there was a line there. Well, there's for me, there's definitely a couple panels in Garrick's shop where she's being fitted, where right. I think I see pretty clearly a line. Yeah. But, yeah. But, but it's not incredibly clear, but it's clear enough for me anyway. Right. Yeah, I, I see what you're talking about, but... Yeah, not the clearest I, I wasn't world. sure. Plus, I've never seen Bullions with hair. So is she wearing right. a wig because she wants to look more like an Andorian? <laughs> Maybe she just digs their style. Right. Or what if little did we know that baldness is not necessarily a genetic trait that all Bullions yeah. share? Maybe it's a cultural thing. Right. People just tend to shave their heads. Right. I thought that the fact that they took a lot of time, and this is a, a little nit, but I think that the fact they took so much time to draw Bashir's medical tricorder when they're scanning, he's scanning um, the, the, some of the goo and saying, oh, this is obviously alien, blah, blah, blah. But they have a really nice shot of the tricorder with a lot of really nice detail. Uh, so I, I kind of appreciate that. I right. thought that was, that was well done. Also, though, I was struck by how long the extension is on the top of the tricorder. So the medical tricorders, as you'll recall, I guess, are a little taller on the top. It's like there's an extra part on top. Right. Uh, maybe partially to accommodate the little hand thing, little little hand yeah. thing that pops out. Maybe it's got a, a different kind of sensor array. I don't know. But it's really long in this drawing. And I guess... That's the way they are, and I just never noticed how, how long that extension is. I'm surprised you don't have one. I don't. I just have the sciences tricorder. I don't have a medical one. Sorry. So disappointing, kid. I know. <sighs> Sorry. So, as far as drawings go, mm-hmm. um, I thought when Rom shows up right on that page, I think maybe it's the page before. No, it's that page. That shows the tricorder. Mm-hmm. He looks so tiny. He looks yeah. like he doesn't even come up to um, O'Brien's ch- chest. It's like, well, yeah, he's doesn't like doesn't even he... come up to where the tricorder is. I mean, the combat just. 
Yeah. Now, mind you, he is moving forward in that that panel, so he's a little lower than normal because his knees are bent. Or well, one knee is bent and the other one's extended way behind him. But I completely agree with you. He looks really small. And in the next one, next, uh, and maybe you were talking about the next panel oh, to no, the right. Oh no, the next one too. The next one to the right. You know, he his the top of his head seems to come up to where that split is in the front of O'Brien's uniform. Right. And that's about it. I don't remember him being that that small. No, neither do I. But I do remember him often having a pretty bad uh, posture. Oh, it's even worse. Go to go a couple pages uh, when they're all being briefed on what their assignments are for um, the job, the searching for the slime. Okay. And oh yeah, I mean now there's, he, a, there's a huh. shot where he's like taking something from O'Brien, and he doesn't even come up. He barely clears O'Brien's belly button. Oh my God, where's that one? It's the second to last panel on. The page where Cisco's throwing the ball up in up in the air. Okay, uh, second. It's oh, not... the, the 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 one where they're in the background. Right, right. Yeah, he he looks like a child. Right. Rom looks like a child. Yeah. I mean, right. he's short on all the panels he's in, but that one he's like extra short. <laughs> yeah, he looks like a kid with his uh, little jumper pants on or something. <laughs> yeah, like he's wearing a onesie. A onesie. onesie. Drama. Okay, there you go. You can tell who's the more recent father. Okay, there you go. Um, I, you know, I didn't. You know the Shakespeare in the original Kardashian joke. Oh yeah, I thought it was kind of funny. that they did. Well, I know, but it's been done. It's been done to death. I mean, what was that Star Trek Five where? Um, Star Trek VI. Christopher Plummer. Oh, yeah. Star Trek Six, right? Star Trek Six, where Christopher Plummer does the same thing, but it's Klingon. Right. Uh, you've, you've never lived till you hear uh, Shakespeare in the original Klingon. Um, I don't know. It, it, I guess I would have found it more funny if I didn't think it was just a, uh, just another retread of the same joke. Right. And I didn't really... Yeah. Anyway. I mean, at least the Klingons are into opera. <laughs> <laughs> so they have some kind of cultural kind of thing going on. But... Um, I never saw much cultural going on with Cardassians, but whatever. I'm sure they do. I'm sure they... Yeah, especially Garrick, of all people. Yeah. Oh, that Garrick... He would be cultured. I think Garrick would be quite cultured. And he's got a good sense of humor, so it makes sense. It's just... It's like retreading old jokes. Agreed. Let's see... Um... Oh, and as you experienced, uh, the credits. I just want to mention that the opening credits were done terribly because there's no contrast between the background, which is like a pink kind of color, light pink, and then the the lettering itself, which is white. Right. It was terrible. Yeah, I I, I was just trying to read it off the CD that or the DVD that you can get right. all the PDFs. Old, older stuff on. Right. Uh, I could go into my long boxes and find the issue, but uh, it's not worth it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well. I'm sure anyway. it's equally hard to read. And, of course, they did that to make it look kind of like a wedding invitation or a wedding announcement or something like that, which I dig. I, I understand that, but it's like, come on, guys. Let's get the contrast right so we can read the thing. Well, what do you think of the name, though, of the episode issue? Oh, well, 
And the Wedding of Doom. Yeah, well, obviously Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, they're playing off of that. So, you know, they're trying to be cute, funny. That's fine. That's fine. And, of course, the next one we'll get into, that also was named after a movie. Or was inspired, the title was inspired by a movie. Uh, Four Funerals and a Wedding. So, Right. Um... I guess Michael Martin and Andy Mangles, uh, like you know, they kind of dig movies. I guess everybody digs movies, Ken. I, I know, I know. Everybody. And they're they're <laughs> they're taking a little inspiration from other uh, from movie titles. All right, that was my last. Com- All right, well, really, my last comment is: Was Odo drinking the beer at the beginning, or was he just sitting there with it? Because that's what he sees people do. I think it's. Just because he sees things. It sees what people do. Uh, and, and I really, I think the only thing he used it for is to uh, neutralize his comm badge, or at least so he couldn't hear it. Right. I thought easily. that was actually pretty funny. That was kind of funny. Uh, because, I mean, I mean, Data doesn't get anything out of eating or drinking. What, how, how do changelings take in sustenance? Do they use food like people? I, I don't even know. I don't know. I don't, I, I don't think so. They have to derive sustenance somehow. Um, hmm. Maybe they just absorb stuff. Maybe somebody throws some pate into the bucket when they sleep. I don't know. Good point. We should look I, that up. I, I don't know. But, so I could be wrong. I mean, maybe they do ingest uh, food and, and drink. Like we no, because he was in an episode but... or an issue not too long ago where he had a, a cup of something that it was part of him. Remember, he, he kept making a big deal that he, he was – Pretending like he was drinking something, but it was really oh, the just cup him. and the contents were, were really himself manifested by himself. Yeah, <laughs> okay. which is what I thought this was. But I was like, okay, so he's holding a cup of himself, and then he has his com badge floating in it, and I'm like, okay, well, maybe this was a real beer. Right. I'm going with it was a real beer because he leaves it at the table when he logs off. I agree. I agree. Okay, that's all I have to say too. So, shall we move on to the next one? Let's do it. Great. So, issue number eleven. As I mentioned before, it's titled Four Funerals and a Wedding. Published date is November 1997. Same writers, actually say most everything. Andy uh, Mangles and Michael Martin are the writers. Penciler, Terry Pallet, Inker, Al Milgram. Colors, Jason Wright. Letterer, Chris Alipolis and Virtual Calligraphy. Starfleet is Chip Carter. Editor, Tim Tui. Editor-in-Chief, Bob Harras. The cover presents four women from Deep Space Nine with Rom horizontal between them. They are covered in dirt and goo. Thick and colorful text exclaims and questions the reality of the statement, Rom to the rescue. Or maybe Rom to the rescue? Anyway, let's find out. It's late at night on the station, and Quark is groggily making his way to the door of his quarters. He thinks it's Luxana Troy bothering him yet again about the wedding reception arrangements. It's actually Rom, and he is visibly upset. He says his quarters have been burgled. Quark, being the good brother, asks if his latinum is safe. Rom angrily responds, To charity with my latinum! He says his fiancée, Lita, has been taken. Quark is shocked and says, Charity? There's no need for that kind of language. Rom tells him if he's going to get Lita back, he will have to weapon up, and he knows Quark has been trafficking lately in just the weapons he'll need. Now, get it! Meanwhile, 
in Rom's quarters, Dr. Bashir, O'Brien, Odo, and Deputy Atana are examining the scene of the latest abduction. O'Brien observes Lita was dragged through the air conditioning conduit leading out of the room. Bashir says there is an entity on board the station that has abducted three people so far. O'Brien asks how it got into the station. Deputy Itana reports that the slime, similar to what is all over Ram's quarters, was seen on the hull of the Var Ulos's spaceship, who is the groom of the wedding. Ram noticed it shortly after their arrival, but then was missing later when they looked again. They established that the sensors are not detecting this intruder, and that it is not a changeling. Otto observes that changelings do not leave parts of themselves behind. Odo asks where Ram is. He would expect Ram to be helping them look for his fiancée. Deputy Itana thinks Ram went after Lita on his own. Odo says that is an ill-advised endeavor. Deputy Itana goes to find him. Meanwhile, on the main waste extraction level, Ram is checking the gear Quark was able to scrounge up for him. As he checks his gear, we see that Rom is loaded up for action with a tactical vest, soldier boots, and all manner of gear hanging off of him. He has a Federation phaser rifle, a Cardassian energy grenade, a Klingon sonic disruptor, and a Bajoran first aid kit. Before he enters through the open door to find the slime-encrusted future wife-stealing muck monster, Deputy Itana gets his attention. She tries to reason with him and asks him to return that illegal arsenal he is carrying to Quark. He is dead on his feet and unlikely to be able to find anything in the waste extraction system. They already scanned it and sent a stream of tachyons through the area and found nothing. Rom declines backing off because he has never stood up to anything that threatened him in his life, including his brother. The thing took his fiancée. She's his reason for living. Also, it took technician El Tur, his co-worker and friend. He must go after it. Wouldn't you if you were in his position? He asks the deputy. Etana says she won't stop him, but she can't let him go down alone. She is joining him to watch his back. Meanwhile, Dr. Brashear is reporting to Cisco that the creature's residue from multiple attack sites contains a progressively higher level of progesterone and other humanoid female hormones. It appears to be tapping its victim's endocrine system. It may be using the stolen hormones in its own attempts to reproduce. That would explain why only women have been taken so far. They don't know if it's intelligent or driven by sheer instinct to reproduce, but its timing could not be worse with the station crawling with all these wedding guests. Meanwhile, Rom and Deputy Itana are well into the waste extraction tunnels that are knee-high with liquid waste. The weak humanoid signals Itana's tricorder detected are getting stronger. Rom's large lobes are picking up some sound just ahead. They find Lita and the others suspended from the ceiling in green, semi-transparent goo sacks. Rom starts to rush forward to free them, but the deputy holds him back. She wants to contact Odo first and call in reinforcements, but finds her comm badge cannot establish a clear signal. She is trying to signal Odo a second time when Rom sees green tentacles raising from behind her. 
he knocks her out of the way of the deadly green attack and shoots the tentacle. Rom is pulled down under the sewage sludge, and his rifle is ripped from his hands. Elsewhere, Sisko joins Mrs. Troy. She is in her white wedding dress and has sensed the creature. She says three women are still alive, but she can't sense their exact location. She offers to postpone the wedding, but Sisko says the sooner it takes place, the sooner he will have a station back to focus on the threat. In the tunnels, Moogie. Rom wakes up floating in the liquid waste. He sees Deputy Itana as being enveloped in the green goo and hung upside down from the ceiling like the rest. Why did the creature leave him alone but took Itana? He is not sure what he should do. He could run screaming like Quark would, since his comm badge is not working and help won't be coming. Rom takes stock of his equipment. The grenade would not be a good idea in an enclosed place like this. The Klingon sonic disruptor? He has an idea and starts to fire the weapon. Deputy Atana comes to and recognizes the ooze sack around her is loosening. She sees Rom is there doing something. She tells him to keep doing whatever he's doing. Eventually, they all fall from the ceiling into the wastewater. Meanwhile, on the promenade, wedding guests are gathering. Odo and Dr. Bashir are discussing the creature. Odo hopes his deputy's sweep will turn up something. He will contact them after O'Brien's tachyon sweeps are done, since they are interfering with his communications with them. The groom, Var Olos, takes Odo to task for not returning his assistant, Ivia, who is also the bridesmaid. Odo tells Olos he and his security team are doing all they can to find the others. During the altercation, we all get the strong feeling that Ulos may be marrying Luxana for her money. Sisko calls everyone's attention to start the wedding ceremony. Ram and the four ladies have made their way out of the waste extraction area and into an air conduit. Communication static is increasing, so they assume the creature is close and coming closer. Ram's Klingon sonic weapon is out of power. Lita takes Ram's Cardassian grenade out of his tactical vest and hurls it down the air conduit towards the advancing goo. As Sisko is asking if anyone can give just cause for why these two people should not be joined in marriage. Boom! The wall of the reception room explodes open and releases a wave of green alien goo into the room. The four women and Ram come tumbling into the room. Ram, in true Ferengi comic relief form, lands in the wedding cake. He tries and fails miserably to fight off the creature. Laksana walks directly up to the wedding crasher. Dr. Bashir tries to warn her away, but Laksana says she knows all she needs to know about the creature. Between giving birth to her latest child recently and her betazoid biology, she has more hormones than the creature will know what to do with. The creature envelops her and apparently consumes all the hormones Laksana has to offer. Turns out it was enough to kill the creature, as Bashir says with a smile on its face. Oh, yuck. Sisko orders the creature to be scooped up and removed from his station. Use the transporters if necessary. Luxana finds her groom beneath a table with some other wedding guests, cowering in fear. 
She tells him the wedding is off. She can't marry a coward. Later, Worf, Dax, Major Kira are in a runabout on their way back to the station. They encounter a nebula that does not show up on any star charts. As they come closer, they see the nebula has a strange composition. They raise shields as they pass through it to be on the safe side. An external view of the runabout shows an all-too-familiar green goo attempting to attach itself unsuccessfully to the small ship's hull and sliding off its shields. They receive a call from Sisko, who asks Kira to prepare to go out again to ferry a guest to Beta Zed. On the station, Odo is saying goodbye to Luxana, but first he asks her why did she really call off the wedding. She says he was a coward, but worse, he tried to marry her for her money. Var and Ivia use technology to broadcast whatever thoughts they thought Luxana wanted to hear. Dr. Bashir discovered that they had implants that accomplished the deceit. They intended to kill Luxana shortly after the wedding and run off with the money. Odo conjectured that the creature's natural subspace interference must have disrupted the implant, giving Luxana a chance to see their true plans. Luxana says it was a shame they got divorced for nothing. Odo admits that in all the confusion over the past two days, he failed to fill the proper paperwork out for their divorce. Luxana gives him a big hug and says, In that case, she'll have to return to the station when she can and calls Odo her sly, scheming little lawman. The hatch closes and Luxana departs the station. Odo is left with a small smile on his face, wondering about the future. Dun, 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 dun. The end. So he forgot. He, in all the excitement, yes. Right. Didn't no, I really can... like that ending. Oh, you didn't like the ending? You did? Uh, well, uh, no. But, well, <laughs> I mean, it was predictable. I mean, that's what's going to happen, you know, right? I mean, she can't stick around. I mean, another scenario is she could be like, oh, well, in that case, Odo, let's talk about this a little bit, you know. So we couldn't have that. So she did leave, but with a promise of a future return. So Right. I, I guess it happened the way it had to happen. And it was kind of predictable, uh, but yeah. yeah. Right. But I just wish she would have told her he loved her. Ah! Just be in love. <laughs> You're a romantic, Donovan. I just want Odo to be happy. He He gets the short end of the stick so much. Well, that's true. But, you know, Major Kira is not on the station during all of this. Because she's off with Worf and... And her uh, boyfriend. She's off with her boyfriend on the planet. Oh, right. Okay, there you go. Anyway, so there is always... Now, that was the real never-ending romantic yearning that really drove the uh, series. No. From that standpoint. No. What what do you mean? Odo always had a thing. Oh, I thought you said it wasn't. I thought you were talking about the Luxana thing. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Kira and Odo, right. will they, won't they, was, was the big sexual exactly. tension throughout the right. show. Right, right, right. Yeah. So you and didn't like spoiler, the Spoiler, they did. <laughs> well, considering the show completed years ago, um, yes. I think See, most people probably remember that. Not much of a spoiler then. Yes, exactly. Oh, oh well. So I thought the cover was just plain weird. Very strange cover. 
Yeah, it looks like Rom is unconscious in the middle of the best dream of his life with four attractive women. Are and a attractive? Lot, it's and like, a lot of goop. And I think they've gone out of their way to make each one of those women as, as least attractive as possible. But can I mention something? Yeah. This is Rom. One of the most unattractive little Ferengi trolls ever. Oh, that's ugly. He's ugly. Not attractive. But a nice guy. So, apparently that's what Lita saw in him. But, come on. Oh, I, I think uh, the Bajoran, you know, deputy lady, I think she's pretty cute. Lita's always cute. I can't yeah, say... That I, picture. I, I can't say I, I like Bolians much, but... Um, I don't know. And uh, and the with the engineering lady, she looks okay, but you know. she's the best looking three, best looking out of four. Yeah, well, okay, fine. And I Whatever. guess that explains why she got taken up first. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, I do like the joke to charity with my latinum. Yeah, I thought that was a good. I thought that was that was clever. That now that is a good Ferengi curse. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I don't think it doesn't deserve that kind of language. Uh, <laughs> that was good. That was nice. I, I I don't remember that. I don't remember seeing that joke before or reading that joke before. So if this, that wasn't a retread, then, you know, points to the writers on yeah. coming up with that. That was good. That was good. The rest of the issue, man, I, I this, this one I did not like. I, the first one I thought was okay. This one I really did not enjoy <laughs> i mean yeah it didn't have any of the you know there was really no tension you know they were in the slime you knew they were going to get out yeah and you have to buy <clears throat> that prom is running around like rambo yeah right but in the end he's so inept uh it, he's just <laughs> he's just lucky that one of the things he happened to bring with him turned out to be effective against the goo I mean, that's total random chance. It's not like he had any, any clue that, oh, I think that the uh, goo monster is going to be uh, susceptible to sonic vibration or something. <laughs> so, and by the way, a sonic weapon, isn't that, that doesn't seem very characteristic of a Klingon. Is it a Klingon one? Yeah. It said, it's a, it said a Klingon sonic weapon or something. Klingons have batliths. Klingons have disruptors. I mean, they want to hurt you. They don't have sonic weapons. <laughs> I don't think. Oh, uh, I think it was okay. <laughs> okay, fine. Where did Lita get these uh, these straps that she's making her um, makeshift clothing for, from? Ah, uh, good question. Now, she couldn't run around naked. Right. This, this is a G-rated comic. So right. good question. Don't so know. it shows her wrapping these like this gauze around her chest and her uh, buttocks area. Right, very handy. But I have no idea where the the gauze came from. Exactly, I agree. No idea. I mean, she and didn't get it from the other throws, ones. She's the one that throws the grenade, isn't she? Or oh yeah, she does it. Yeah. She grabs it right off his tactical vest and just lobs yeah, it. There it is. Which, again, is not the wisest thing in the world in a enclosed air conduit, but, hey, it all worked out in the end, right? Right. So you were saying that this goo is not as intelligent as a Horta. Well, I don't think so, but you don't, you, there, you don't get any indication. 
Right. Well, don't they even say that it it would be sentient normally, but it's it's injured and it was just floating in space and that. What? When did, when did they say that? I thought that it was, that was somewhere in here. It at least we find out at the end of the issue where it came from. There's some kind of a floating colony, I guess, of this goo, just floating around in space, moving around. And it almost attaches itself to uh, Kira and Worf and Dax's uh, runabout also. So it's not alone. I mean, there's a whole bunch of it floating around in space. So I don't know if it's... I, 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 don't, know, I don't know where they said it was injured. Hmm. And, well, and nobody talked to it. I mean, nobody was... I mean, yeah. the, the, the one who was able to establish the most communication with it, uh, it seemed like it was Laksana at the end. And really, that wasn't much. Where she was basically saying, oh, I can understand wanting to reproduce, yeah, so saying, but you're ruining my wedding. Your mind is in there somewhere, even if your collision with the Vars ship has reduced you to pure instinct. So I, I, when I oh, okay. that, I I didn't remember. I didn't that, see that. That it would it was originally sentient, but it got hit by the thing, and then now it's just like pure instinct trying to reproduce. Well, okay. And then it's dead, and they beam it out into space, and uh, I don't know why they beam it out into space, because then the shuttlecraft or the runabout rams into it later, which I thought was a little silly. Space well, is hold on. big. No, I don't think it was the same thing. Oh, you think it was the... No, that, that's where it came from. So uh, in the same way that they pass through that, quote, nebula. So if they're calling it a nebula, which nebulas are, are clouds of gas, big clouds of gas just floating around in, in space, they must have, it must have been pretty big. Um, so I don't, I think that was like where the goo was from. Okay. That wasn't the goo they just got rid of. Because it, it, try, it tried to uh, attach itself to the runabout. Did it? Yeah. Well, yeah. There's the there's the drawing of the outside of the runabout where the goo little goo arm is against the shields. I thought that was just showing them ramming right through the nebula with the shields on. Well, okay, whatever. The main point is it's showing how the goo got onto the Bolian ship in the first place. Okay. So that's the nebula. That's 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 the source, not not the one they just beamed out in space. Right. Okay. That, that's what I think. Yeah, I, I, all right, I'll, I'll give you that. It just That makes more sense than I thought Cisco just beamed it right out there, and then as soon as they beamed it out there, the runabout's flying through it, which I thought, well, what are the chances that you beam something out, and then the minute you do it, yeah, somebody's running over it. Right, and what's the point of telling that anyway? Right. I, I think it's trying to say there's this floating cloud of goo <laughs> that's moving around, and... Uh, okay. And that's that's how the yeah anyway, but I, I guess I guess yours is a is a valid way to look at it too, except for how big it is. And, right. and by the way, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna beam something like that out into space, I'm just gonna beam it out in atoms. I'm not gonna put it back together again. Right, you want to vaporize it exactly. I mean, just um, you know, don't put it together again. Just beam the atoms out there and let it float. So are they going to do anything with this big cloud that's moving past Deep Space Nine? Because I don't other, think so. another ship may hit it without its I agree. shields on. And I agree. The whole thing starts over again. Yep. Civilian, civilians are obviously 
uh, like the Bolian, they're not necessarily as uh, aware of what's going on, so they could pass through anything without necessarily their shields on. Exactly. I agree. But nobody seems to know what it is. So or care. Or Cisco, care. Exactly. Now that so, the wedding's okay. Exactly. So I think Cisco should have had a little bit of responsibility and say, well, where'd this stuff come from? Can we do some due diligence here or something? Um, but no. And then, you know, Kira and Worf just fly through it, and they're like, oh, whatever. Yeah, we're coming home. And don't even, they don't even mention it. Right. Nothing we couldn't handle, Captain. That's my Worf impression. It was a good one. Thank you. Spot on. Hey! Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, in the end, I'm not crazy about the issue. I agree. One of the best things about the issue, besides a few good jokes, is... The whole idea that Odo is thinking about love and taking Luxana seriously as a possible person to express that dimension of life experience with. Right. I think that's uh, that's interesting. It is a, does he give it much thought here? Well, we, we don't really get into his, th- his thoughts too much in this issue like we did last issue. No, I agree with that because too many other things. This is the Rom issue mostly. Right. Where the previous one was a little bit more. But then we come back to it at the very end as the last thing we see is uh, Odo with a small little smile on his face. Just kind of thinking about the future, I think. That's how I interpret it. Right. Exactly. And they probably had to end it this way because they didn't know how or when or if Luxana Troy was ever going to come back on the show. And Sure. This is not continuity, as we all know. This story can stand there and it's a nice little extra thing that happens that doesn't have to be affecting any future continuity. If they did do something about this relationship, obviously that would be a problem with, with what they do with the show. Right. Yeah. And, and I just don't understand why he doesn't think he can love anybody. Cause I mean, in season two or three, they, he already established that he loved Kira, even though, uh, he was a changeling. Right. Well, okay, but... So, I mean, he's capable of the emotions, so I don't understand sure, why but, he doesn't think he's capable of the emotions. Okay, and this is what I think. This is... There's two halves... It takes two to tango. So, although most of the time we see Odo, you know, he looks like a humanoid. He just looks like a normal alien. So we kind of kind of sort of think of, think of him that way, or at least I do, uh, except when he does the Mr. Fantastic thing, which he never did much in the TV series. But... There's two halves to that. He feels like he's not a solid. So, and he's surrounded by solids. Pretty much that's all he's surrounded by. So he feels very much like an outsider. I mean, he turns into liquid every night. So, obviously any solid that is going to want to have anything to do with him would have to over would have to be okay with that. And I would propose that many many ladies wouldn't be crazy about that idea. Right. But obviously she has demonstrated that she's cool with it. So that's why she, as opposed to the many other women on the station, is more of a possibility for him. That's what I think. So you think it's a Beauty and the Beast thing? Who could love a beast? Exactly. Like this? Exactly. Okay. I, I, that's it. That's what I say. So I, I hate to derail this, but back when the show was, was on, um, there was a, a coworker of mine. And he was a big Star Trek fan, so obviously mm-hmm. tried to bend his ear a lot because not a lot of people that will talk about this kind of stuff in the mm-hmm. workplace because we can't can't let anybody know that we like it. Right. 
Anyway, so um, it's also when I kind of quit talking to him because he told me <laughs> if he was Odo, all the stuff he would do, and it was very explicit. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I was just like, I mean, he was going to be a very popular person with the ladies. <laughs> and I'm like, a-, a la Mr. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to quit coming to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> Here? Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, a little creepy. So every time, every time, every once in a while, that those those that conversation popped up in my head, and I'm like, all right, let's change subject. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, so he does do a little bit of Mister Fantastic here in this issue when he's doing crowd control there mm-hmm. at the uh, when when Luxwana is about to jump into the goo. Mm-hmm. You see that panel? I missed it the first time we I read it that he's. Kind of turned himself into a little barrier. It's page 16 on the uh, PDF. Yeah, I didn't notice that. I don't oh. think I did anyway. Let's see. Okay, so she's walking up. Oh, yeah, I see it. He's got his arms out and right. kind of widened. Like, stand back. Right. Looks like he's going to jump into the green stuff. And even though I love her, I'm going to let her do it. <laughs> All right, what else you got? I got nothing. Yeah, me either. These issues put together were okay. I don't think there is anything that would possess me to want to read these again. But uh, they were okay, but not great. Right. I'd read those first few pages of the of the issue 10. Just him lamenting about could he love Troy or could he love anybody. I kind of like that. Right. Oh, that's good. So my last comment, I actually have one more. <clears throat> okay. Um, and it's about the sonic, uh, sonic grenade thing. Sonic um, – the sonic pistol? Right. Well, the grenade. Well, yeah. Whatever. Okay. The sonic, so the Cardassian grenade. Yeah. So the the thing that the sonic being the uh, what damages the the creature. Oh. Okay. So the hand weapon. Okay. Right. So it just reminded me of uh, Spider Man. Okay. Yeah. As a symbiote, it it's really just a, a black goo or a red right. goo, your carnage. Right. And they're both susceptible to sonic attacks and things like that. That loud noises. Oh right. So, right. So. Right. This being a Marvel comic, and this being basically a green version of the symbiote slime, ah, uh-huh. uh, it was just odd that they had the same weakness. Yeah, well, it came out of left field. I'll tell you that. And how did how did Rom have any clue where that would have been effective? Right. I mean, it, that makes no sense. Because um, Marvel comic says it's effective. <laughs> now, okay, fine. It's great that it's effective, but it's like. It's kind of like I don't I don't know if you recall the old uh, of course you do I'm sure uh, the old Wild Wild West episode or TV show yeah I remember the show so he would James West would always have a bunch of gadgets that would get him out of tight situations the only thing is there's only so much gadgetry you can carry around with you yet what would happen time and time again is he would have just the right gadget that he needed so. There was one episode where, I mean, normally he would have a Derringer pop out of his sleeve. So, okay, that's always cool. That's all, You always want to go out with that. But there's a situation where he's stuck in a pit. And then out of his sleeves comes two, almost like, they look like gardening tools. They're like metal things that come out into kind of like prongs. So they come out of the sleeves. And he uses that to climb up the wall of the pit he's in and get out. It's like, when you got dressed this morning... 
How did you know that you would need a device like that up your sleeves instead of your trusty Derringer? Right. It's like it's the the sixties Batman. Exactly. So yeah, exactly. The bat utility belt. Whatever he whatever Batman needed, no matter how ridiculously large it was, he would just pull it out from behind his cape, obviously detaching it from his utility belt. Whatever. Right. Yes. So he, here's Rom with <laughs> with his tactical vest loaded up with just what he needs. And nothing well, okay, so maybe the Bajoran first aid kit wasn't needed, but well, maybe that's where the gauze came from. So you ah, did that to give ah, you different clothes. That's it. Yep. Good point. You put two Everything's together. answered. This episode, this issue was great. Ah. No unanswered questions. I think it's redeemed itself. <laughs> All right. Anything else? Nothing. Okay. Well, then uh, next week we are just doing Starfleet Academy 10 and 11. Cool. Okay. So just another short episode, hopefully. So we know the telepathy wars are coming, but this is still in the lead up to it. Is that right? right? These next two yeah. issues? Okay. Yeah. So uh, this is the last issue of Deep Space Nine before the telepathy war. And okay. 10 and 11 of Starfleet Academy will be the last two issues before the official telepathy war. Even though I think they're really setting up the telepathy thing on... Uh, Starfleet Academy with more than anything. the Tholians and the right. Dominion fighting each other. Right. Okay. And then Voyager. We're going to do two Voyager. Well, actually, we'll that. do three Voyager issues oh, to, because... to get get up to the telepathy war issue of that series. Okay. And okay. I, I, th- I really don't think those have any lead-up. I mean, like, this one has, you know, the biggest telepath that's been on Deep Space Nine, looks on a Troy, so I don't yeah. know if she'll come back in the next issue or not. Right. It would make sense if she did, because hmm. she's a telepath. But. Sure, and she might come back because of Otto. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, I couldn't leave you. Maybe it all fits together. Even though we'll I see. jumped in the, uh, the ship at the last issue and left. Uh, right. <laughs> I came right back. Right. We'll find out in a couple of weeks. Okay, sounds great. All right, anything else? Nothing. Okay, well then, let's, let's, let's adjourn, and we'll be back next week. Sounds great. Thanks for joining us, everybody, on The Review. Same Trek time, same Trek channel. Ooh, mixing it up with a little Batman reference. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic second name Book Review See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review